0: This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, well, now, and ever, and into ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us, cleanse us of all stain, and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome back. All of our participants here, Sunday Gospel Reflection, Annie Mitchell. How are you?
1: Father Hezekiah, so I am doing great. Good to see you.
0: That's great. Good to see you too. uh Ready to we go are after here.
1: the bad priests.
0: Oh yeah, we're going after the bad priests today. We're going after
1: them today. Ooh, it's going to be Malachi. epic.
0: Yeah. Malachi chapter one. Don't get too excited. <laughs> Gee whiz. I'm, I mean, yeah. okay. There's a lot of good priests out there. Malachi chapter one, <laughs> verse 14. <laughs> yep. Verse yes. 14.
1: Yes, yes, yes.
0: Give give it to us. We're jumping around, Malachi.
1: Okay, so here we go. Malachi, the first reading for the 31st Sunday in Ordinary Time. Malachi chapter 1, verse 14, through chapter 2, verse 2, and then follow me. Skip to verses 8 through 10. You can just follow along in your Bible when we get there. All right. The responsorial psalm is Psalm 131. The gospel for this weekend is Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. And the epistle is St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, and then verse 13.
0: And I got to go to confession to all of you guys today, because I was teaching a Bible study to some teenagers at my home, because I was hosting a youth group, and I left my Bible in my house.
1: Oh. So,
0: I'm, so I'm, I, I, I'm working off a blank Bible today, and it's, oh, uh, boy. it's hard to read when it's not highlighted, you know? Yeah. Anyways, wow. let's jump into it see where the lord takes us here and uh, maliki chapter 1 verse 14 through chapter 2 verse 2 and then skip to ver- ch- verse 8 through 10 here we go
1: yep here we go <clears throat> a great king am i says the lord of hosts and my name will be feared among the nations and now O priests this commandment is for you if you do not listen If you do not lay it to heart to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and of your blessing I will make a curse. You have turned aside from the way and have caused many to falter by your instruction. You have made void the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. I therefore have made you contemptible and base before all the people, since you do not keep my ways but show partiality in your decisions. Have we not all the one father? Has not the one God created us? Why then do we break faith with one another, violating the covenant of our fathers? I was trying to channel like my inner mom voice when I'm getting real mad. And so my voice (laughs) goes like low instead of like yelling because I find that more fearful. Do you think that was appropriate? That tone?
0: That was that was well done, Annie. Very well done. Yes, Thank and you. nicely intoned.
1: My dramatic reading of Malachi. Well, first <laughs> of all, just remind us who is the prophet Malachi.
0: Okay. Well, you know, honestly, in this case, our our normal practice, which is to flip to the beginning of the prophet, right, and mm-hmm. look at him, isn't all that helpful. And so, but we can do so anyways, and maybe gain a little bit of something from what it says. Verse chapter one verse one. This is now. This actually it is. It, we can do this because we are ICC people, and we just need to, a couple tools in our tool belt, and it's going to unpack these few verses. So chapter one verse one of the of the prophet, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, How have you loved us? Is not Isa. Esau, Jacob's brother. Now you're thinking book of Genesis, right? And you're like, what yeah. does that have to what do with about? the prophet Malachi? Yeah. Yet I have loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. I have laid waste to his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I'm going to tear it down. <laughs> Till they are called the wicked country, the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Yes. Forever. So, no. yeah. So who is this? What's going on? Okay. Well, first of all, remember that Edom, well, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Remember right. Esau traded his birthright yeah. to his brother. I was doing a little research on this, actually. It's very interesting. The word Edom in its Semitic root means red. Huh. And this guy was reading, it was interesting. Uh, the idea is that the lentils that Esau traded his birthright to Jacob for, this there is a red lentil.
1: Yeah.
0: And that is the traditional lentil that he traded his birthright for, right? So, so
1: they were eating. Ed- so they eat them. Eat Ed- them. Eat What did Edom. I say? Eat them. Yeah. Red. Eat
0: So that's Edom. why they're called the Edomites, whatever the case may be. Others have said that it's the red desert of the area. It's basically the the area of Jordan. Um, The commentator I was looking at was saying southern Jordan. I had always thought about it as northern Jordan. But nevertheless, the Edomites covenanted themselves. They joined the Babylonians at the attack on Jerusalem. So the Edomites are persona non grata. As far as Israel is concerned, because they are traitors, and so they're they're hated. You'll remember from from the Psalms when during Lent we actually did a thing where we talked about this the Psalm that talks about the Edomites, right? And then and so I don't even honestly off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me. There it is. Yes, strong concordance. This is one of the tools you got to have.
1: Enormous one out here.
0: And I'm going to just do this, really quick. you guys can do this on your own and you just look up Edom and it's going to send you right to where you want to go, right? The uh, word concordance, Edom, and I'm going to look at the Psalms that mention Edom and I'm at Psalm um 60, 83, where there's Psalm 108. 108. Oh, You know what I'm going to do? I'm not even turning there. I'll make you people do this because all you should have a concordance. But now, if you don't, you can always use a uh, blue letter Bible on, on the, on the web and you can type in, you put an RSV, type in Edom and look up your passages. Yeah, but okay. We
1: like using the books.
0: I know we do, but you can, so you look it up and then you're going to find there Edom and, and here's Israel singing. may God do to you what you did to us. May your right. babes be dashed against the rock right mm-hmm. talking about the the edomites so um yeah they're not friends of god's people so now we're looking at malachi and what does he say uh i love i have loved you says the lord and this is chapter one verse two but you say how have you loved us and then the lord says remember Esau, right and look what i did look at the edomites now right So this gives you a little sense that of when this is taking place. Malachi is writing after the after return from Babylon, most likely during the time period that Ezra and Nehemiah are writing. So you can further contextualize. You want to go back and read them. And uh, but you know the story well, right? The story of the return is much like the story of the of the of the going off to Babylon, and that is the people aren't faithful. They come back to the land. Right, they've been given money. We've looked at that in Ezra chapter one, right? Cyrus gives them money, loads them down with gold and they go back to build the temple. And what do they do? Nothing, right? Except take care of themselves. Look Mm -hmm. at your Bible, go back to Haggai, Haggai chapter one, just a few pages back in your Bible. Haggai chapter one, chapter one, verse seven. You Are you with me there? Haggai chapter one, verse seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts: Consider how you fared. Go up to the hills and bring wood, and build the house that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may appear in all my glory. Says the Lord, You have looked for much, and behold, it came to little. You, when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Says the Lord of hosts, Because you, you, because of my house that lies in ruins, while well, you busy yourselves with each with his own house. So here's what they did. They come back with Babylonian money. And yet they don't actually attend. They've been blessed by God, but they don't actually attend to the things of God, right? And so uh, um, they rather they use it on themselves to make themselves glorious upon the earth. We're going to find that out in the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. But Malachi is in the in this in comes into this story now with this warning, which we very much get in the text here that's given to us today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's look at. The text itself, yeah. What is the covenant of Levi? And well, I guess you've kind of talked about this already, but sort of like how have the priests broken this covenant? I mean, I guess you were talking about the people of yeah. Israel in general just now. How about the priests? Right.
0: Well, yeah. No, this this text actually in Malachi, if we just hit a couple passages here, is going to give us this. Yeah, And so uh, I will, I'll say this again later on in our, our study together. And that is a text without a context is no text at all. And a lot of things to be plucked out and used inappropriately to whatever. But 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 here, context, 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 right? So the covenant with Levi, we don't get you go do it too much. You can turn your Bibles back if you want to. We don't need to turn there right now. Write down Exodus chapter 32, verse 45. Exodus chapter 32, verse 45 and following. Not 45, 25 and fall. I mean, that's what I get for not turning my Bible back to the passage that I'm referring you to. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. In Exodus chapter 32, you'll see it's the story of the sin of the golden calf. And in chapter 32, verse 25, okay, I'll read it. It says, Exodus 32, 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose for Aaron had let them break loose. That's regarding the golden calf. Half, to their shame among their enemies. And Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Why? Because Moses was a Levite, right? He was a Levite. He was a Levite. And you know that from Exodus chapter chapter 1. And so so all his all his family joins him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put every man his sword on his side and go back and forth the, from gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, and every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of of Moses, and they they filled the people that day, about 3,000 men. And Moses said, today you have ordained yourselves for the service as the worship of the Lord. This is the moment when the Levitical priesthood comes into play. Before this, it was the priesthood of the firstborn of the family. But up to this point, so but well, I should say the sin of the golden calf, we talked about this a lot in the past, was it was the cult of the firstborn. It was it was the cult of the firstborn of, of Pharaoh's sons in Egypt. And it was the firstborn that engaged in this act of worship, which has a sexual kind of meaning to it. If I can just be nice about the whole business, it was a cult In which the firstborn engaged in certain activities, and uh and they brought right, it's easier to get Israel out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of Israel. You bring this word, this pagan worship with them, and they engage in it. Well, who engages in it? The firstborn, who are supposed to be the priests offering worship to God, when yet they don't, they get in the golden calf business. And so this day, the Levites who are clean of this worship, why? Because their firstborn leader. Is actually doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's up on the mountain. It's Moses, yeah. right? So Moses comes down and now draws his family to him, and the Levitical priesthood comes in, right? But then the second question is, how have the Levites themselves, right, broken the, this 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 communion, this, this where they're dedicated to the worship of God, and that's revealed to us here in the prophet Malachi, which is why I wish. That I had my normal Bible with me, which is all highlighted with the sins of the Levitical priests. But nevertheless, we're going to look at it here for just a moment, if that's okay, Annie. Yeah, Because I've got a memory, kind of. Check out chapter 1, <laughs> verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. A son honored his father, and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. You say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. You say, how have we polluted it? By thinking that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that no evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that no evil? Present that to your governor. Will he be pleased with what you show? Right? And so forth. Okay. <laughs> Let me interpret this for you. Where is my honor, says the Lord, when you bring plastic flowers to church instead of real ones, when you buy cheap incense instead of good stuff, it smells nice. Yeah. When you when you when you use Manischewitz for your chalice one, is that no evil? okay? Okay. And Uh, uh, please, uh, for God's sake. uh, All right. That's my my interpretation. (laughs) Sorry, I'm applying it maybe a little loosely. (laughs) We'll pick it up at, sh- at verse 13. What a weariness this is, you say, and you sniff at me, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has t- been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this bring bring your offering. Shall I accept this from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices the Lord was blemished. See, here's what's going on. They've come back to the promised land. They've attended to their own you know, McMansions, and they they haven't rebuilt the temple of the Lord. But when they finally do rebuild the temple of the Lord, and they bring the sacrifices back and so forth, then they start bringing, you know, it's, they're they're sick and they're laying their leftovers yeah. instead the of they don't their
1: want first, anyway, yeah,
0: which they don't want anyway, right? They're not bringing the first fruits. They're not bringing their heart, and that's the ultimate problem. This all comes to. All, kind of a climax here in chapter three. Um, chapter three, verse um, verse eight and following. We go earlier, but we pick it up at verse eight. Chapter three, verse eight. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, How are we robbing you? I love how Malachi writes, right? It's over and over again the same thing. It's a conversation with God. So good, yeah. How, all right, in your tithes and your offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And how are they cursed? Well, they're looking there. Remember back in, uh, they were reading earlier, right? There's, there's there's, no food. There's no water. There's a famine, right? They come back to the land. Things aren't good. And he's like, "You, because you're cursed, because you are not offering yourselves to the Lord. Bring in the full tithes. The word tithe is 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And there I put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour it down. And you understand what's going on, right? Cause there's, there's no rain coming down. There's no food. Pour it down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the devourer for you. And so forth. Okay. Look, so this is very, very, we don't have to say much more about this because you see what's going on. It's a half-hearted worship. They're going through the motions. They're doing all the things that, that the, what, Rituale, uh, you know, Romano. Um, r- uh, they're doing all the things they're supposed to do. But what's what they're not doing is what can't be seen. Right? They, they're, they're, This is not there. They're not giving their firstborn. They're not giving their first fruits. Their first thoughts are not for the Lord, they're for themselves. Yeah? And this is going to help us interpret what Jesus is saying in the gospel. Yeah. But I think before we leave this thing, I have to give my, you know, rant regarding this passage, uh, regarding tithing. Because my, we're going to lose half our audience right now, and I really don't care, because I'm not really in the business of numbers at the Institute. I'm in the business of saving souls, so I'm going to tell you the way it is, which is why you're here. And here's the way it is. We built Santiago de Compostela. We built St. Peter's. We built uh, Notre Dame. Not because the Catholics were rich. We built it because the Catholics were Christians. Yes? And one of the key Yeah, you want to call it the key characteristics of the Christian is giving the first fruits to the Lord because we realize that everything is his. See, some people will say Catholics, well, in the New Testament now, in the new dispensation, we don't have to tithe because it doesn't say it in the gospel. That's nonsense. It's, It's more than that. You see, it's not only that we have to give 10%. We have to give 100%. It's all the Lord's. That's what we realize, not just the 10%. It's all the Lord's. It's all to be put towards his ministry. Everything that I have is his. And I show that reality. I confess that truth by tithing. And that's how the church has always interpreted it. Yes, and I'll tell you, I'm sick and tired of the donation basket on Sundays. Because it cultivates a bad, bad principles. You look into your wallet. I don't have my wallet here. I've done this shtick before. I don't have my wallet here. Anyways, there's nothing in it. Cash wise, maybe a couple bucks, right? There's nothing in it. It's over there. It's like $3 in it. And that's what happens. Basket comes around Sunday. I look at what's left over. Read Malachy and see if you're going to get away with that. I have people on Sunday, pull out a 20. They put it in the basket and they pull out change. (laughs) It happens. It happens. My brothers and sisters, the first fruits must be given to tell the Lord, to confess to the Lord what we really believe about him. One of the greatest, the greatest things my dad ever taught me was tithing. We get, we get our paycheck, his paycheck in the mail at the, the, you know, at the end of the month and sit down. We do the math on it, calculate the 10% and start writing the checks. Missionaries of charity, the local parish. Institute of Catholic Culture. Yeah, I don't mind. I say, it, I say it. really, you should be supporting Catholic education. Yeah. So if you can see the ICC in that formula, great. That's fine. The most important thing that I care about is that you see the formula. Because this is how we live as Christians. See, I don't have 10%. I can't give the church 10% of my income. I wouldn't have enough left over at the end of the day. You don't have enough to begin with. You don't have enough not to tithe. Trust me, because that's what the Lord says right here, right here. Chapter three, chapter three, verse, verse nine, verse 10. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test. My brothers and sisters, put the Lord to the test and see if he will not bless you with an overflowing blessing. And I'm serious about that. I'm a witness to it in my own life. And this isn't prosperity gospel nonsense. you commit yourself to the Lord. You have a relationship with the Lord. You may not be rich. I'm not saying you're going to be driving around a Mercedes and private helicopters. That's not the point. But the Lord's going to take care of you at the end of the day. Put him to the test if you want him to take care of you. Become vulnerable to him if you want him to be in your life. As a Catholic church, we got to learn this principle again. Take it seriously. As you're preparing for Christmas, the Nativity of the Lord. Take this to heart. What's your? He's going to give you his life. Are you willing to give your life back to him? That's what I have to say about our Old Testament reading. Annie, unless you have any other questions.
1: Well, I have one last. I question.
0: knew you were going to ask. Me. That's all I know. So, well, I
1: was just wondering because you know the Malachi reading here talks specifically about. The priests and I was just wondering if you could speak to the importance of the Levitical priesthood in this time when clearly the kings are underground.
0: Um, in terms of leading the people. for for our for our for our audience here, because oh, now I you're talking... just in
1: terms of leading the people,
0: right? Because I you think can, that this okay.
1: can speak to something that we're going to be talking about in the gospel. I mean, if you don't want to answer.
0: Yeah, but I don't want to take for granted that our people understand what you're talking about. The kings are underground, okay? So you have to go back and listen to my series of talks called Swords and Serpents in our ICC library if you want to really understand what she's talking about here. But basically, when the Babylon exile happens, give or take 600 years, 700 years before the coming of Christ, then the line of David kind of disappears for good reason, because you're in exile and you're like slaves and you stand up here like i'm the king they're going to cut your head off so they go silent right this whole time and certainly the the priests among the people try to certainly take on this this leader much more of a leadership role however i would say this that we do have a misunderstanding between and we're attacked as a church for, by, the, by the Protestants for this thing about the priesthood, that, that Christ is our high priest, right? And yet the Catholics have, have priests, and what is this all about? You're just kind of Old Testament, you never accepted Jesus as your high priest, and the sole mediator between God and man, and nonsense. The word here for priest in the Old Testament is sacrificer. Okay, and Jesus is the great sacrificer. The word that is translated as priest in the New Testament is properly translated as as elder, elder, right? It's a, and it's, there's a, there's certainly a, a an understanding of that within the body of Christ that priest that Christ is the sole priest of the church. This is a sole sacrificer. He is the one and only sacrifice which mediates our salvation, right? And we are baptized into him. And so there is a fundamental distinction between the liturgical priesthood in the Old Testament and the priests within the Catholic Church. I don't need to say much more about that, but there, sure. there should that that is something that's necessary to be to be understood. But certainly the priests at this time do take on this character of headship in a way that maybe prior to the exile, the king would have fulfilled but i'm not sure if that's what you're asking about yeah
1: i mean that's exactly what i was asking because we're going to be looking at a gospel passage where this like you know abuse of power continues even yeah. into the time of jesus so absolutely you can see why this. i wanted to ask it. and once
0: you once you know kind of the pattern of the old testament <laughs> once you know what happened during the time of ezra and nehemiah once you know what Ze- what Mal- malachi is talking about you can f- Better understand what's going on in the time of Christ because you're talking Malachi 400 years, give or take 100 years before the coming of Christ, and the situation just doesn't really resolve itself. Um, and, 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 and well, it doesn't, it doesn't, right? You have the rise of the Pharisees, the rise of the Sadducees, the rise of the Essenes, all of these people trying to lay hold of a more pure way of life, and yet fallen. Human nature continually does exactly what Malachi is condemning, right? And that's kind of what we run into when we're going into into the New Testament scene in the Gospel of Matthew. But here we are in Psalm 131. In Mm -hmm. you, Lord, I have found my peace, the Lord. My heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. I busy not myself with great things, nor with things too sublime for me. Rather, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a wean child. Right, so this opportunity now to see what's going on in the time of Malachi, and to reject that. I always love the response for a psalm because it is the application to my own, to myself, what the Lord is calling us to, what the church is calling to us to in the Old Testament reading. Right, mm-hmm. and to cry out in re- re- renouncing what had happened. And getting my heart right with the Lord, so that in the gospel scene, I make sure that I'm standing in the right group of people as the Lord's talking. Right?
1: Yep. Shall we head and join that group?
0: Wonderful. Matthew chapter twenty three.
1: Twenty three. Yep. Yeah. Starting with verse one. You ready to go?
0: Well, no. I, I I turned my page of my you know USCCB print off, but here I am in Matthew. I think that's in the New Testament, if I'm not mistaken.
1: I think so. Matthew, I, mean, I know your Bible is not highlighted, that's but exactly I hope you Matthew.
0: Chapter 23, <laughs> verse 1. Here we go.
1: All right, here we go. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe all things whatsoever they tell you, but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on the people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation, Rabbi. As for you, Do not be called rabbi, you have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father, for you have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master, you have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. All right. So Father, last week, just to kind of grab our context here, um, we were hearing Jesus answer the question about what is the greatest of the commandments. And to get to where we are this upcoming weekend, we've skipped over a short little passage at the end of chapter 22 in Matthew and Jesus uh, asking a question of his own. I'm wondering if you can just give us a little primer on that before we uh, look at this passage specifically.
0: Yeah. Well, again, I don't have my highlighted Bible in front of me, which puts me at a great disadvantage here. But yeah, we just have to read the context of chapter 22. But really, as we've been going through these chapters, we go back to chapter 21 and Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. And then Jesus is there, right? He's he's most likely staying with Lazarus and, and Martha and Mary just over the Mount of Olives, right? He's coming down every day. He's passing through the Kidron Valley next to the tomb where St. Joseph was buried, where Joachim and Anne were buried, where the mother of God will be buried when she dies, just as she's about to be assumed into heaven. And he's passing through this area. He'd love to pray there in the garden of Gethsemane. He makes his way each day to the temple to, to pray and to teach. And all the way, pretty much through this whole thing, he's been kind of, The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Herodians keep coming after him. And he's in his boxing match with them while the crowds are forming. And imagine being there during those days, right? This is leading up to Passover. This is the great feast of the Jews. The place is jammed full of people and there's no television, right? There's no Mike Tyson match to watch. Um, and everybody's in there, they've done their, they prayed their rosary and they've made the stations of the cross and so forth. And now they're wondering what they're supposed to do in church where they've been, you know, they kept their holy hour and now they're in there, they're in the temple. I'm I'm joking. Okay. Okay. So, but they're in the temple and they're like looking for something to do. Right. And is there anybody interested? Well, she's been walking into this thing and he's the hottest thing going. So you got to imagine what it was like for me. Jesus is back. He's he's walking up the steps, guys. He's walking up the steps. Look, the Pharisees over there—they're about to go at it again. And so they're bam, bam, bam. Chapter twenty-two. You got to go back and read that verse thirty-four. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they came to him. Right. So back and forth, Sadducees get silenced. the Pharisees get silenced. Boom, boom, boom. Now while the now verse forty-one. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. So now Jesus goes back after them. All the while, the crowds are watching, but now all, everything changes. Chapter 23, verse 1. Then said Jesus to the crowds. Now you thought it was bad when he was fighting with the Pharisees? Now what he does, he turns to the crowd, the, the larger group of people around him, and he's got the Pharisees in the corner. He's got them pinned up against the corner, right? He's just given a one, a two, an uppercut they're stunned and now he turns to the crowd and basically unleashes them against him right yeah. and starts pointing his he's talking to them but he's pointing his finger at the Pharisees like this so now this chapter 23 takes us to a whole nother level of the brawl that's happening if Absolutely. you haven't noticed yet i really love this stuff i know i it's love it so good yeah it's so good it's so good yeah so that's that's kind of the context of what's going on
1: Okay, so let's talk about some of the stuff he says. What is the seat of, or the chair of Moses, and why is that so important?
0: All right. Well, you know, actually, a great example of this that all of you know is the the cathedral, the 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 chair of the bishop, right? Yeah. Because in the old, in the ancient world, when a teacher taught, he taught sitting down, and mm-hmm. the people, his disciples, stood up to listen. Okay, so it's quite the opposite of our experience today. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you can pick this up actually in Exodus chapter 18. If you want to hold your hand in Matthew, because we're just going to go there for a second. Exodus 18, 18, verse, let's see, verse 13. Exodus 18, 13. Are you there? I am.
1: Exodus 18,
0: I'm 13. There. Yeah. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood about Moses from morning till evening. So there you have it. Oh. There is the ancient practice, right? Yeah. So, so the seat of Moses is the is his is his teaching authority that he has. Okay, but some have some have guessed that there may have been in the synagogues of the Jews um, uh, a special seat, right? Uh, a, a throne, which would have made sense that the chief rabbi would sit in while he taught no doubt he had something to sit in right and so that it may have been called the seat of the the Moses's chair because their job was to interpret the law right um and uh and and teach in the place of Moses explaining what Moses meant and by extension the whole of the old testament right and so um and so that's kind of the the idea there between behind the the chair of Peter but you can uh, so chair of Peter well there you have it, right? Peter Fair had a chair, enough. right? Yeah. Cuz he sat down yeah. to teach. So, um so but uh, nevertheless the idea that Jesus is going after is about more than a chair, right? It's about it's about the person who takes that role of authority of discerning the word of truth for the sake of the people, okay? Mm-hmm. Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples after he just pumbled these guys for being hypocrites, right? Mm-hmm. Um And he says the scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses, right? These scoundrels have taken the high place to tell you how to live your life, but they're hypocrites. And that's what is going on here. Again, the context, the context here in chapter 22 is essential. Chapter 21, 22 is essential for chapter 23. Okay, go ahead. That's my answering.
1: All right. Well, if they are hypocrites, then why is Jesus telling the crowds and his disciples to obey them?
0: Yeah, because they're telling they're they're out there trying to to be great teachers of the of the thing. But they're hypocrites because they're not living it out. Remember the coin. Remember, they're sitting at the money changers table changing out the money because they couldn't bring the pagan images and coins and so forth into the temple precincts they're changing the money out all the while they got money stuffed in their pocket that they shouldn't have there you see right. so they're 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 doing one thing and they're they're saying one thing and they're doing another right they're two-faced they're hypocrites so that's so what...
1: why do i need to do what they say is my question
0: well okay they have a a, a position of authority And to the extent that they're interpreting the law correctly and calling the people to a right way of life, they ought to, that that truth is a truth, whether they're, Hmm. regardless of who's saying it, right? And this is an important point, right? Well, we oftentimes see, look, I'm a a priest. I preach every Sunday. Most of the time I'm preaching against myself. Okay. Because I know (laughs) that, well, yeah. And so, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, I, 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 my parishioners still ought to follow what I'm telling them to do. And yet, and yet, I'm I'm calling them all the time. Be patient with one another, right? Uh, be calm with one another. Love one another. All the while, I have a hard time saying calm, okay? Sometimes, and so I'm struggling along with them. Sure. The question is whether I'm struggling along with them or whether I'm saying one thing with my mouth and I'm and I'm I'm not doing that, right? So they're calling the people. They're requiring the sacrificial system. They're requiring the tithes to be brought in. They're judging the people, and yet they themselves are not following the law. And that's what Jesus is going after. That's what he's been going after the whole time, right? You judge a man. Do we judge a man before giving him trial, Nicodemus asks? Because they themselves are breaking the law, and that's the point.
1: Wow. How un-American of Jesus.
0: Yeah, Yeah. right, right, right. right.
1: (laughs) All right, father. We got to cover the...
0: For they preach, but they do not practice. They preach, but they do not practice. They tie up a heavy burden hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders. But they will not lift a finger, right? and 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 and, and this is this is the fundamental problem that's that's going on, right? And uh, I will make no application about this. today i don't think i need to that's ultimately what's going on jesus is going after them for living one way requiring another life for those around them and this ultimately gets at the fundamental question that you're going to ask me go ahead annie
1: yeah father
0: yes why
1: am i to call no man father on earth but you You know basically i feel like I'm a hypocrite and you're in double trouble because you're both a father as a priest and a father as a dad.
0: Yeah, exactly. So again, I, and I'm going to be accused of, of, of whitewashing Jesus's words. Right. But this (laughs) is not these, what is it? What's the principle? A text without a context is no text 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 at at all. And here's the problem. This verse is taken out of its context and is dropped into the context of the Catholic priesthood and parishioners calling their priest father, right? And that is not the context in which Jesus is talking. Jesus is condemning the hypocrites, right? Who are requiring all the outward trappings, but inside, dead man's bones, and we're about to see that. I didn't look ahead next week's passage, but if the church has done us any favors, we will have one of my favorite passages next week, the woes against the Pharisees. Yeah. And so let's just take this for a a minute because we are, we we have to give some, some answer to this. And the, the first passage I want to go to in understanding what Jesus is saying here. Well, my first passage is chapter 21 and 22. Okay, of what Jesus is really going after, right? What is the ultimate thing he's trying to get across in chapter 23? That these guys are hypocrites. These guys are asking for all sorts of accolades that they don't deserve. Yes? Which is why one of the things he says is called no man teacher.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But as a matter of fact, in our I mean Unless, well, uh, my Protestant brothers and sisters, you never raised your hand and said, "Teacher," right? Yeah. You said, "Oh, but uh, we shouldn't do that." Well, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about hypocrisy, and you're taking these words out of context and applying them to a different context. So, what is the proper context? Is the scriptures right? Take a look at with with me at Second Kings chapter two. Second King. We could look at a lot of passages. We'll just look at a couple of them. Second Kings. Chapter two, chapter two. Oh, I was in first kings, second kings. Make sure you're in second kings, chapter two, verse twelve. This is Elijah being taken up into heaven. Let's go back to verse nine. When they had crossed, you with me, chapter two, second kings, chapter two, verse nine. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, "Ask what you shall do, what I shall do for you before I am taken from you." Elisha said, "I beg you, let me inherit a double share of your of your spirit." And he said, "You have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so." And as they were went, they went on their way and talked, behold, a chariot of fire and horses, and fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by the whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and his horsemen, and he saw him no more. Okay, now is Elisha committing a sin? Well, first of all, let us remember that Elijah was not Elisha's biological father. Okay. And yet he cries out to him very appropriately because he is his spiritual father. And I really don't think anyone. Anyway, now, if you've got a problem with calling your father father, my daughter calls me father all the time. Father is a, she, she's you know she's endearing. <laughs> is she breaking the commandment of Jesus? No. Nor is Alicia. Breaking the commandment of Jesus by crying out to a spiritual father. Let's be real about this. Yeah. Because Elijah is his spiritual father. It is a reality in his life. So, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking about hypocrisy. And you say, Oh, but you're in the Old Testament. Father oh, has guys, yes, I know I'm in the Old Testament, which is why I'm going to turn to First Corinthians. Oh,
1: nice.
0: First Corinthians. And I really I really, I, I'm giving you these three passages, but we're I'm I'm breaking my own in, in doing this. I'm breaking my own principle, and so after I'm done breaking my own principle, I'm going to go back to principles and talk about what we how we should be understanding this. Okay, First Corinthians chapter four, verse fourteen, and following. Four fourteen. I do not write this. Are you with me? First Corinthians yeah. chapter four, verse. 14. I do not write this to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For, you, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ. Oh, St. Paul. Paul. I guess St. Paul was not aware of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. Yeah, Or he's committing a horrible sin. Yeah, But we know that's not the case, don't we? Yes. Let's take a look at First Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 18. Are you with me? 1 Timothy, (laughs) chapter 1, verse 18. This charge I commit to you. Timothy, my son. Guys, again. Context, context, context. And in that context, we can understand why Jesus is railing against these guys. Because he knows what's coming. And he knows what they're doing behind his back, and he's in a fist fight with them. And we also know the reality of what is true, which is that when we are baptized, and this is I want to go back to the proper way instead of doing apologetic hitting people over the heads, is that when we are baptized, as St. Paul says in Romans chapter six, we are baptized into Christ Jesus, and therefore we participate in who He is and what he is. The, our heavenly Father, His glory is found in the saints, in those that have become like him, in his image and after his likeness. We are meant to be fathers to those around us. That's our calling. And not to be hypocrites who who want to or claim to be fathers, but are really serpents in disguise, wolves in sheep's clothing. For the Pharisees are not fathers to these people. They are wolves eating the people alive. Yes? Please, don't call a father a father who's not a father. Because the word father is only used in reference to the heavenly father in those that are actually living out and fulfilling the role of a father in the image and likeness of our heavenly father. Because there is only one father and it's only in his fatherhood that we can be called fathers on earth. But it is proper that we do so because God is love and love is the sharing of our life with the beloved. And therefore we should expect for fathers to be found among us who are living in the image and likeness of the one true father versus the Pharisees who are living in the likeness of the devil yes that's how the church has always understood this passage which is why the church from the very time of its inception from the time of saint paul has always called our elders fathers who are serving us as the presence of our heavenly father incarnate in our lives that's how we've always understood the passage that's how the apostles understood the passage. That's how we should understand Jesus' teaching. For a text without a context is no text at all.
1: Shall we read about one of the good fathers living out in the image? First Thessalonians. Of father? Yep. First Thessalonians chapter two. Here we go. Verse
0: seven. <clears throat> Hold on, Danny. Wait, wait. Oh, you're not there ah! yet? There it is. Sorry, I stumbled. First Thessalonians chapter. chapter. Okay, I'm there now. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse seven. Go.
1: Brothers and sisters, we were gentle among you as a nursing mother cares for her children. With such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. So dearly beloved had you become to us. You recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery, working night and day in order not to burden any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And for this reason, we too give thanks to God unceasingly, that in receiving the word of God from hearing us, you receive not a human word, but as it truly is, the word of God, which is now at work in you who believe.
0: Is Saint Paul calling himself a mother? Does he have an identity crisis? (laughs) I
1: have to say, I like, I I really identified with this, with this as a nursing mother myself. Yes. I love the, I mean, that was a, I think that was a reference in the first reading too, or in the, no, in the, uh, the Psalm.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely.
1: Child on its mother's lap. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. That's the church That's not... is the church is the bride of Christ and the mother of the faithful. Yeah. I don't know. I think we can finish with this because this all has all been about the same theme. That is calling the church to repentance, to a genuineness of life. Yeah. To not go and put, you know, we're all getting ready for the the Christmas season. Or, well, more intimately, right now Thanksgiving's coming, right? And we're going to open our doors to our aunts and uncles, to our parents. to uh, And there's divisions and there's problems. And the church is calling us to a genuineness about this reality. A genuineness of of love for one another. Even though there may have been difficulties in the family. An importance that we are living an authentic life. That what we say and what we do and we go to church on Sunday, that reality is lived out in our life. And though we may be called to sit on the seat of Moses, though we may be called to be parents to our children and to be Christians to the non-Christians, uh, nevertheless, we must make sure that, that that life we're called to is a reality here first. Yes? And uh, and I, I I go back to what I was saying in Malachi, and a, I know I oftentimes say things that make people feel uncomfortable, but I'm sorry i got to say it, because I think this is a point is just, fundamental problem we got to get under control that we have to make the lord the first in our life and a real practical way of that is 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 tithing if you haven't been doing it time to start making a tithe of what we have physically of our time in our prayer in our in our in our talents with our with our uh, uh volunteer work we have to become a people that is genuine and if we are genuine, we will give a genuine uh, witness to, to, to the world. And I honestly, I think one of the fundamental problems in the church right now in her inability to make converts and her inability to witness to the world is that we have a bunch of fathers that are wolves in sheep's clothing. And when we're saying one thing. Unfortunately, we're living something else. We got to bring the two things together we got to once again live the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not easy, but it is what we are called to as Christians. May God strengthen us for what is coming. To Christ our God be glory, both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.